Chapter One of The Joyous Adventures of Aristide Pujol. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. The Joyous Adventures of Aristide Pujol by William John Locke. Chapter One The Adventure of the Fair Patron in narrating these few episodes in the undulatory not to say switchback career of my friend aristide pujol i can pretend to no chronological sequence some occurred before he almost literally crossed my path for the first time some afterwards they have been related to me haphazard at odd times together with a hundred other incidents just as a chance tag of association recalled them to his swift and picturesque memory he would indeed make a show of fixing dates by reference to his temporary profession but so protean seemed to have been his changes of fortune in their number and rapidity that i could never keep count of them or their order nor does it matter the man's life was as disconnected as a pack of cards my first meeting with him happened in this wise i had been motoring in a listless solitary fashion about languedoc a friend who had stolen a few days from anxious business in order to accompany me from boulogne through touraine and guienne had left me at toulouse another friend whom i had arranged to pick up at avignon on his way from monte carlo was unexpectedly delayed i was therefore condemned to a period of solitude somewhat irksome to a man of a gregarious temperament at first for company's sake i sat in front by my chauffeur mckee but mckee an atheistical scotch mechanic with his soul in his cylinders being as communicative as his own differential i soon relapsed into the equal loneliness and greater comfort of the back in this fashion i left montpellier one morning on my leisurely eastward journey deciding to break off from the main road striking due south and visit aiguille on the way aiguille was once a flourishing mediterranean town st louis and his crusaders sailed thence twice for palestine charles v and francis i met there and filled the place with glittering state but now its glory has departed the sea has receded three or four miles and left it high and dry in the middle of bleak salt marshes useless dead and desolate swept by the howling mistral and scorched by the blazing sun the straight white ribbon of road which stretched for miles through the plain between dreary vineyards some under water the black shoots of the vines appearing like symmetrical wreckage above the surface was at last swallowed up by the grim central gateway of the town surmounted by its frowning tower on each side spread the brown machiolated battlements that vainly defended the death-stricken place a soft northern atmosphere would have invested it in a certain mystery of romance but in the clear southern air the towns and walls standing sharply defined against the blue wind-swept sky it looked naked and pitiful like a poor ghost caught in the daylight at some distance from the gate appeared the usual notice as to speed limit mckay most scrupulous of drivers obeyed as there was a knot of idlers underneath and beyond the gate he slowed down to a crawl sounding a patient and monotonous horn we advanced the peasant folk cleared the way sullenly and suspiciously 
then deliberately an elderly man started to cross the road and on the sound of the horn stood stock still with resentful defiance on his weather-beaten face mckee jammed on the brakes the car halted but the infinitesimal fraction of a second before it came to a dead stop the wing over the near front wheel touched the elderly person and down he went on the ground i leaped from the car to be instantly surrounded by an infuriated crowd which seemed to gather from all the quarters of the broad decaying square the elderly man helped to his feet by sympathetic hands shook his knotted fists in my face he was a dour and ugly peasant of splendid physique as hard and discoloured as the walls of Mort. his cunning eyes were as clear as a boy's his lined clean-shaven face as rigid as a gargoyle and the back of his neck above the low collar of his jersey showed itself seamed into glazed irregular lozenges like the hide of a crocodile he cursed me and my kind healthily in very bad french and apostrophized his friends in provencal who in provencal and bad french made responsive clamour i had knocked him down on purpose he was crippled for life who was i to go tearing through the peaceful towns with my execrated locomotive and massacring innocent people i tried to explain that the fault was his and that after all to judge by the strength of his lungs no great damage had been inflicted but no they would not let it go like that there were the gendarmes i looked across the square and saw two gendarmes striding portentously towards the scene they would see justice done the law was there to protect poor folk for a certainty i would not get off easily i knew what would happen the gendarme would submit Kio myself to procès verbal they would impound the car i should have to go to the marie and make endless depositions i should have to wait heaven knows how long before i could appear before le juge de paix i should have to find a solicitor to represent me in the end i should be fined for furious driving at the rate when the accident happened of a mile an hour and probably have to pay a heavy compensation to the wilful and uninjured victim of mckeek's impeccable driving and all the time while waiting for injustice to take its course i should be the guest of a hostile population i grew angry the crowd grew angrier the gendarmes approached with an air of majesty and fate but just before they could be acquainted with the brutal facts of the disaster a singularly bright-eyed man wearing a hard felt hat and a blue serge suit flashed like a meteor into the midst of the throng glanced with an amazing swiftness at me the car the crowd the gendarme and the victim ran his hands up and down the person of the last mentioned and then with a frenzied action of a figure in a bad cinematograph rather than that of a human being subjected the inhabitants to an infuriated philippic in provencal of which i could not understand one word the crowd with here and there a murmur of remonstrance listened to him in silence when he had finished they hung their heads the gendarmes shrugged their majestic and fateful shoulders and uh, lit cigarettes and the gargoyle-visaged ancient with the neck of crocodile hide turned grumbling away i have never witnessed anything so magical as the effect produced by this electric personage 
even mckee who during the previous clamour had sat stiff behind his wheel keeping expressionless eyes fixed on the cap of the radiator turned his head two degrees of a circle and glanced at his surroundings the instant peace was established our rescuer darted up to me with the directness of a dragonfly and shook me warmly by the hand as he had done me a service i responded with a grateful smile besides his aspect was peculiarly prepossessing i guessed him to be about five-and-thirty he had a clear olive complexion black moustache and short silky van dyke beard and the most fascinating the most humorous the most mocking the most astonishingly bright eyes i have ever seen in my life i murmured a few expressions of thanks while he prolonged the handshake with the fervour of a long-lost friend it's all right my dear sir don't worry any more he said in excellent english but with a french accent curiously tinged with cockney the old gentleman's as sound as a bell not a bruise on his body he pushed me gently to the step of the car get in and let me guide you to the only place where you can eat in this accursed town before i could recover from my surprise he was by my side in the car shouting directions to mckee ah these people he cried shaking his hands with outspread fingers in front of him they have no manners no decency no self-respect it's a regular trade they go and get knocked down by automobiles on purpose so that they can claim indemnity they breed dogs especially and train them to commit suicide under the wheels so that they can get compensation there's one now ah sacre bete he leaned over the side of the car and exchanged a violent abjuration with the dog but never mind so long as i am here you can run over anything you like with impunity i'm very much obliged to you said i you've saved me from a deal of foolish unpleasantness from the way you handle the old gentleman i should guess you to be a doctor that's one of the few things i've never been he replied no i'm not a doctor one of these days i'll tell you all about myself he spoke as if our sudden acquaintance would ripen into lifelong friendship there's the hotel the hotel saint louis he pointed to a sign a little way up the narrow old-world cobble-paved street we were entering leave it to me i'll see that they treat you properly the car drew up at the doorway my electric friend leaped out and met the emerging landlady bonjour madame i've brought you one of my very good friends an english gentleman of the most high importance he will have déjeuner to ce qu'il a la demeure none of your cabbage soup and eels and andouille but a good omelette some fresh fish and a bit of very tender meat will that suit you he asked turning to me excellently said i smiling and since you've ordered me so charming a déjeuner perhaps you'll do me the honour of helping me to eat it with the very greatest pleasure said he without a second's hesitation we entered the small stuffy dining-room where a dingy waiter with a dingier smile showed us to a small table by the window at the long table in the middle of the room sat the half-dozen frequenters of the house their napkins tucked under their chins eating in gloomy silence a dreary meal of the kind my new friend had deprecated what shall we drink i asked regarding with some disfavour the thin red and white wines in the decanters oh anything said he but this piquette du pied it tastes like a mixture of sea-water and vinegar it produces the look of patient suffering that you see on these gentlemen's faces 
you who are not used to it had better not venture it would exoriate your throat it would dislocate your pancreas it would play the very devil with you adolphe he beckoned to the waiter there's a little white wine of the Côte du Rhone. he glanced at me i'm in your hands said i as far as eating and drinking went i could not have been in better nor could any one desire a more entertaining chance companion of travel that he had thrust himself upon me in the most brazen manner and taken complete possession of me there could be no doubt but it had all been done in the most irresistibly charming manner in the world one entirely forgot the impudence of the fellow i have since discovered that he did not lay himself out to be agreeable the flow of talk and anecdote the bright laughter that lit up a little joke making it appear a very brilliant joke indeed were all spontaneous he was a man too of some cultivation he knew france thoroughly england pretty well he had a discriminating taste in architecture and waxed poetical over the beauties of nature it strikes me as odd said i at last somewhat ironically that so vital a person as yourself should find scope for your energies in this dead and alive place he threw up his hands i live here i crumble and decay in agrimot for whom do you take me i replied that not having the pleasure of knowing his name and quality i could only take him for an enigma he selected a card from his letter-case and handed it to me across the table it bore the legend aristide pujol agent two thirteen bis rue saint Honoré, paris that address will always find me he said civility bade me give him my card which he put carefully in his letter-case i owe my success in life said he to the fact that i have never lost an opportunity or a visiting-card where did you learn your perfect english i asked first said he among english tourists at marseilles then in england i was professor of french at an academy for young ladies i hope you were a success said i he regarded me drolly yes and uh, no said he the meal over we left the hotel now said he you would like to visit the towers on the ramparts i would dearly love to accompany you but i have business in the town i will take you however to the gardien and put you in his charge he raced me to the gate by which i had entered the gardien des remparts issued from his lodge at elstide pujol's summons and listened respectfully to his exhortation in provencal then he went for his keys i'll not say good-bye aristide pujol declared amiable i'll get through my business long before you've done your sightseeing and you'll find me waiting for you near the hotel au cher ami he smiled lifted his hat waved his hand in a friendly way and darted off across the square the old gardien came out with the keys and took me off to the tour de constance where protestants were imprisoned pell-mell after the revocation of the edict of nantes thence to the tour des bourguignons where i forget how many hundred burgundians were massacred and pickled in salt and after these cheery exhibitions invited me to walk round the ramparts and inspect the remaining eighteen towers of the enceinte as the mistral however had sprung up and was shuddering across the high walls i declined and having paid him his fee descended to the comparative shelter of the earth 
there i found aristide pujol waiting me at the corner of the narrow street in which the hotel was situated he was wearing like most of the young bloods of provence in winter time a short shaggy yet natty goatskin coat ornamented with enormous bone buttons and a little cane valise stood nearby on the curve of the square he was not alone walking arm in arm with him was a stout elderly woman of swarthy complexion and forbidding aspect she was attired in a peasant's or small shopkeeper's rusty sunday black and an old-fashioned black bonnet prodigiously adorned with black plumes and black roses beneath this bonnet her hair was tightly drawn up from her forehead heavy eyebrows overhung a pair of small crafty eyes and a tuft of hair grew on the corner of a prognathous jaw she might have been about seven-and-forty aristide pujol unlinking himself from this unattractive female advanced and saluted me with considerable deference monseigneur said he as i am neither a duke nor an archbishop but a humble member of the lower automobiling classes the high-flown title startled me monseigneur will you permit me said he in french to present to you madame gougas madame is the patronne of the cafe de l'univers at carcassonne which doubtless you have frequented and she is going to do me the honour of marrying me to-morrow the unexpectedness of the announcement took my breath away good heavens said i in a whisper any one less congruous as the bride-elect of the debonair aristide pujol it was impossible to imagine however it was none of my business i raised my hat politely to the lady madame i offer you my sincere felicitations as an entertaining husband i am sure you will find monsieur aristide pujol without a rival je vous remercie monseigneur she replied in what was obviously her best company manner and if ever you will deign to come again to the cafe de l'univers at carcassonne we will esteem it a great honour and so you're going to get married to-morrow i remarked by way of saying something to congratulate aristide pujol on his choice lay beyond my power of hypocrisy to-morrow said he my dear amelie will make me the happiest of men we start for carcassonne by the three-thirty train said madame gougasse pulling a great silver watch from some fold of her person then there is time said i pointing to a little weather-beaten cafe in the square to drink a glass to your happiness bien volontiers said the lady pardon cher ami aristide interposed quickly unless monseigneur and i start at once for montpellier i shall not have time to transact my little affairs before your train arrives there parenthetically i must remark that all trains going from aigues to carcassonne must stop at montpellier that's true she agreed in a hesitating manner but uh, but idol of my heart though i am overcome with grief at the idea of leaving you for two little hours it is a question of four thousand francs four thousand francs are not picked up every day in the street it's a lot of money madame gougasse's little eyes glittered bien sûr and it's quite settled absolutely and it will be all for me half said aristide you promised all to me for the redecoration of the ceiling of the cafe three thousand will be sufficient dear angel what 
i know these contractors and decorators the more you pay them the more abominable will they make the ceiling leave it to me i aristide will guarantee you a ceiling like that of the sistine chapel for two thousand francs she smiled and bridled so as to appear perfectly well-bred in my presence the act of smiling caused the tuft of hair on her jaw to twitch horribly a cold shiver ran down my back don't you think monseigneur she asked archly that monsieur pujol should give me the four thousand francs as a wedding present most certainly said i in my heartiest voice entirely mystified by the conversation well i yield said aristide ah women women they hold up their little rosy finger and the bravest of men has to lie down with his chin on his paws like a good old watchdog you agree then monseigneur to my giving the whole of the four thousand francs to amelie more than that said i convinced that the swarthy lady of the prognathous jaw was bound to have her own way in the end where money was concerned and yet for the life of me not seeing how i had anything to do with the disposal of aristide pujol's property more than that said i i command you to do it c'est bien gentil de votre part said madame and now the cafe i suggested with chattering teeth we had been standing all the time at the corner of the square while the mistral whistled down the narrow street the dust was driven stingingly into our faces and the women of the place who passed us by held their black scarves over their mouths alas monseigneur said madame gougasse aristide is right you must start now for montpellier in the automobile i will go by the train for carcassonne at three thirty it is the only train from aguimurta aristide transacts his business and joins me in the train at montpellier you have not much time to spare i was bewildered i turned to aristide pujol who stood hands on hips regarding his prospective bride and myself with humorous benevolence my good friend said i in english i've not the remotest idea of what the two of you are talking about but i gather you have arranged that i should motor you to montpellier now i'm not going to montpellier i've just come from there as i told you at dejeuner i'm going in the opposite direction he took me familiarly by the arm and with a pardon chérie ami to the lady led me a few paces aside i beseech you he whispered it's a matter of four thousand francs a hundred and sixty pounds eight hundred dollars a new ceiling for the cafe de l'univers the dream of a woman's life and the happiest omen for my wedded felicity the fair goddess hymen invites you with uplifted torch you can't refuse he hypnotized me with his bright eyes overpowered my will by his winning personality he seemed to force me to desire his companionship i weakened after all i reflected i was at a loose end and where i went did not matter to anybody aristide pujol had also done me a considerable service for which i felt grateful i yielded with good grace he darted back to madame gougas alive with gaiety cher ami if you were to press monseigneur i'm sure he would come to carcassonne and dance at our wedding 
alas that said i hastily is out of the question but i added amused by a humorous idea why should two lovers separate even for a few hours why should not madame accompany us to montpellier there is room in my auto for three and it would give me the opportunity of making madame's better acquaintance there amelie cried aristide what do you say truly it is too much honour murmured madame gougas evidently tempted there's your luggage however said aristide you would bring that great trunk for which there is no place in the automobile of monseigneur that's true my luggage send it on by train cher ami when will it arrive at carcassonne not to-morrow said pujo but perhaps next week or the week after perhaps it may never come at all one is never certain with these railway companies but what does that matter what do you say cried the lady sharply it may arrive or it may not arrive but you are rich enough cher ami not to think of a few camisoles and bits of jewellery and my lace and my silk dresses that i have brought to show your parents merci she retorted with a dangerous spark in her little eyes you think one is made of money eh you will soon find yourself mistaken my friend i would give you to understand she checked herself suddenly monseigneur she turned to me with a resumption of the gracious manner of her bottle-decked counter at the cafe de l'univers you are too amiable i appreciate your offer infinitely but i am not going to entrust my luggage to the kind care of the railway company merci non they are robbers and thieves even if it did arrive half the things would be stolen oh i know them she shook the head of an experienced and self-reliant woman no doubt distrustful of banks as of railway companies she kept her money hidden in her bedroom i pitied my poor young friend he would need all his gaiety to enliven the domestic side of the cafe de l'univers the lady having declined my invitation i expressed my regrets and aristide more emotional voiced his sense of heart-rent desolation and in a resigned tone informed me that it was time to start i left the lovers and went to the hotel where i paid the bill summoned mckee and lit a companionable pipe the car backed down the narrow street into the square and took up its position we entered mckee took charge of aristide's valise tucked us up in the rug and settled himself in his seat the car started and we drove off aristide gallantly brandishing his hat and madame gougas waving her lily hand which happened to be hidden in an ill-fitting black glove to montpellier as fast as you can he shouted at the top of his lungs to mckee then he sighed as he threw himself luxuriously back ah this is better than a train amelie doesn't know what a mistake she has made the elderly victim of my furious entry was lounging in spite of the mistral by the grim marchiolated gateway instead of scowling at me he raised his hat respectfully as we passed i touched my cap but aristide returned the salute with the grave politeness of royalty this is a place said he which i would like never to behold again 
in a few moments we were whirling along the straight white road between the interminable black vineyards and past the dilapidated homesteads of the vine folk and wayside cafes that are scattered about this unjoyous corner of france well he said suddenly what do you think of my fiancée politeness and good taste forbade expression of my real opinion i murmured platitudes to the effect that she seemed to be a most sensible woman with a head for business she's not what we in french call jolie jolie but what of that what's the good of marrying a pretty face for other men to make love to and as you english say there's none of your confounded sentiment about her but she has the most flourishing cafe in carcassonne and when the ceiling is newly decorated provided she doesn't insist on too much gold leaf and too many naked babies on clouds it's astonishing how women love naked babies on clouds it will be the snuggest place in the world may i ask for one of your excellent cigarettes i handed him the case from the pocket of the car it was there that i made her acquaintance he resumed after having lit the cigarette from my pipe we met we talked we fixed it up she is not the woman to go by four roads to a thing she did me the honour of going straight for me ah but what a wonderful woman she rules that cafe like a kingdom a semiramis a queen elizabeth a catherine de medici she sits enthroned behind the counter all day long and takes the money and counts the saucers and smiles on rich clients and if a waiter in a far corner gives a bit of sugar to a dog she spots it and the waiter has a deuce of a time that woman is worth her weight in thousand franc notes she goes to bed every night at one and gets up in the morning at five and virtuous didn't solomon say that a virtuous woman was more precious than rubies that's the kind of wife the wise man chooses when he gives up the giddy ways of youth ah my dear sir over and over again these last two or three days my dear old parents i have been on a visit to them at aigues have commended my wisdom amelie who is devoted to me left her cafe in carcassonne to make their acquaintance and receive their blessing before our marriage and also to show them the lace on her dessous and her new silk dress they are too old to take the long journey to carcassonne my son they said you are making a marriage after our own hearts we are proud of you now we can die perfectly content i was wrong perhaps in saying that amelie has no sentiment he continued after a short pause she adores me it is evident she will not allow me out of her sight ah my dear friend you don't know what a happy man i am for a brilliant young man of five-and-thirty who was about to marry a horrible maghera ten or twelve years his senior he looked unhealthily happy there was no doubt that his handsome roguery had caught the woman's fancy she was at the dangerous age when even the most feral concrete natured of women are apt to run riot she was comprehensible and pardonable but the man baffled me he was obviously marrying her for her money but how in the name of diogenes and all the cynics could he manage to look so confoundedly joyful about it the mistral blew bitterly i snuggled beneath the rug and hunched up my shoulders so as to get my ears protected by my coat-collar aristide sufficiently protected by his goat's hide talked like a shepherd on a may morning 
why he took for granted my interest in his unromantic not to say sordid courtship i knew not but he gave me the whole history of it from its modest beginnings to its now penultimate stage from what i could make out for the mistral whirled many of his words away over unheeding provence he had entered the cafe de l'univers one evening a human derelict battered by buffeting waves of fortune and finding a seat immediately beneath madame gougasse's comptoir had straightway poured his grievances into a feminine ear and figuratively speaking rested his weary heart upon a feminine bosom and his buffetings and grievances and wearinesses whence came they i asked the question point-blank ah oh, my dear friend he answered kissing his gloved fingertips she was adorable who i asked taken aback madame gougasse mon dieu no he replied not madame gougasse amelie is solid she is virtuous she is jealous she is capacious but i should not call her adorable no the adorable one was twenty delicious and english a peach blossom a zephyr a summer night's dream the most provoking little witch you ever saw in your life her father and herself and six of her compatriots were touring through france they had circular tickets so had i in fact i was a miniature thomas cook and son to the party i provided them with the discomforts of travel and supplied erroneous information que voulez-vous if people ask you for the history of a pair of louis Cain's corsets in a museum glass case it's much better to stimulate their imagination by saying that they were worn by joan of arc at the battle of agincourt than to dull their minds by your ignorance eh bien we go through the chateau of the loire through poitiers and angouleme and we come to carcassonne you know carcassonne the great grim zite with its battlements and bastions and barbicans and fifty towers on the hill looking over the rubbishy modern town we were there the rest of the party were buying picture postcards of the gardien at the foot of the tour de l'inquestien the man who invented picture postcards ought to have his statue on the top of the eiffel tower the millions of headaches he has saved people go to places now not to exhaust themselves by seeing them but to buy picture postcards of them the rest of the party as i said were deep in picture postcards mademoiselle and i promenaded outside we often promenaded outside when the others were buying picture postcards he remarked with an extra twinkle in his bright eyes and the result was it my fault he leaned over the parapet the wind blew a confounded mech what do you call it strand yes strand of her hair across her face she let it blow and laughed and did not move didn't i say she was a little witch if there's a provencal ever born who would not have kissed a girl under such provocation i should like to have his mummy i kissed her she kept on laughing i kissed her again i kissed her four times at the beginning of the fourth kiss out came her father from the postcard shop he waited till the end of it and then announced himself he announced himself in such ungentlemanly terms that i was forced to let the whole party including the adorable little witch go on to Pau by themselves while i betook my broken heart to the cafe de l'univers and there you found consolation 
i told my sad tale amelie listened and called the manager to take charge of the comptoir and poured herself out a glass of frontignan amelie always drinks frontignan when her heart is touched i came the next day and the next it was pouring with rain day and night and carcassonne in rain is like hades with its furnaces put out by human tears and the cafe de l'univers like a little warm corner of paradise stuck in the midst of it and so that's how it happened that's how it happened ma foi when a lady asks a gallant homme to marry her what is he to do besides did i not say that the cafe de l'univers was the most prosperous one in carcassonne i'm afraid you english my dear friend have such sentimental ideas about marriage now we in france attendez attendez he suddenly broke off his story lurched forward and gripped the back of the front seat to the right man to the right he cried excitedly to mckee we had reached the point where the straight road from aguimorta branches into a fork one road going to montpellier the other to nîmes montpellier being to the west mckee had naturally taken the left fork to the right shouted aristide mckee pulled up and turned his head with a look of protesting inquiry i intervened with a laugh you're wrong in your geography monsieur pujol besides there is the signpost staring you in the face this is the way to montpellier but my dear heaven-sent friend i no more want to go to montpellier than you do he cried montpellier is the last place on earth i desire to visit you want to go to nîmes and so do i to the right chauffeur what shall i do sir asked mckee i was utterly bewildered i turned to the goatskin clad pointed beard bright-eyed aristide who sitting bolt upright in the car with his hands stretched out looked like a parody of the god pan in a hard felt hat you don't want to go to montpellier i asked stupidly no ten thousand times no not for a king's ransom but your four thousand francs you're meeting madame gougasse's train you're getting on to carcassonne if i could put twenty million continents between myself and carcassonne i'd do it he explained with frantic gestures don't you understand the good lord who is always on my side sent you especially to deliver me out of the hands of that unspeakable xantippe there are no four thousand francs i'm not going to meet her train at montpellier and if she marries anyone to-morrow at carcassonne it will not be aristide pujol i shrugged my shoulders we'll go to nîmes very good sir said mckee and now said i as soon as we had started on the right-hand road will you have the kindness to explain there's nothing to explain he cried gleefully here am i delivered i am free i can breathe god's good air again i'm not going to marry yum 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 i feel ten years younger oh i've had a narrow escape but that's the way with me i always fall on my feet didn't i tell you i've never lost an opportunity the moment i saw an englishman in difficulties i realized my opportunity of being delivered out of the house of bondage i took it and here i am for two days i had been racking my brains for a means of getting out of aigumorte when suddenly you a deus ex machina a veritable god out of the machine came to my aid don't say there isn't a providence watching over me i suggested that his mode of escape seemed somewhat elaborate and fantastic 
why couldn't he have slipped quietly round to the railway station and taken a ticket to any haven of refuge he might have fancied for the simple reason said he with a gay laugh that i haven't a single penny piece in the world he looked so prosperous and untroubled that i stared incredulously not one tiny bronze sou said he oh you seem to take it pretty philosophically said i les qui les qui sont des gens heureux he quoted you're the first person who has made me believe in the happiness of beggars in time i shall make you believe in lots of things he retorted no i hadn't one sou to buy a ticket and amelie never left me i spent my last franc on the journey from carcassonne to aiguemorte amelie insisted on accompanying me she was taking no chances her eyes never left me from the time we started when i ran to your assistance she was watching me from a house on the other side of the place she came to the hotel while we were lunching i thought i would slip away unnoticed and join you after you had made the tour de rampant but no i must present her to my english friend and then boyon didn't i tell you i never lost a visiting card look at this he dived into his pocket produced the letter-case and extracted a card voila i read the duke of wiltshire but good heavens man i cried that's not the card i gave you why no it isn't said he but it's the one i showed to amelie how on earth i asked did you come by the duke of wiltshire's visiting card he looked at me uh, roguishly i am uh, what do you call it a, a snapper up of unconsidered trifles you see i know my shakespeare i read the winter's tale with some french pupils to whom i was teaching english i love autolycus c'est un peu moi hein anyhow i showed the duke's card to amelie i began to understand that's why she called me monseigneur naturally and i told her that you were my english patron and would give me four thousand francs as a wedding present if i accompanied you to your agents at montpellier where you could draw the money ah <laughs> but she was suspicious yesterday i borrowed a bicycle a friend left it in the courtyard i thought i will creep out at dead of night when everyone's asleep and once on my petite bicyclette bonsoir la compagnie but would you believe it when i got dressed and crept down and tried to mount the bicycle i found both tires had been punctured in a hundred places with the point of a pair of scissors what do you think of that ah oh, it has been a narrow escape when you invited her to accompany us to montpellier my heart was in my mouth it would have served you right i said if she had accepted he laughed as though instead of not having a penny he had not a care in the world accustomed to the geometrical conduct of my well-fed fellow britons who map out their lives by rule and line i had no measure whereby to gauge this amazing and inconsequential person in one way he had acted abominably to leave an affianced bride in the lurch in this heartless manner was a most ungentlemanly proceeding on the other hand an unscrupulous adventurer would have married the woman for her money and chanced the consequences in the tussle between perseus and the gorgon the odds are all in favour of perseus mercury and minerva the most sharp-witted of the gods are helping him all the time to say nothing of the fact that perseus starts out by being a notoriously handsome fellow 
so a handsome rogue can generally wheedle an elderly ugly wife into opening her money-bags and if successful leads the enviable life of a fighting cock it was very much to his credit that this kind of life was not to the liking of aristide pujol indeed speaking from affectionate knowledge of the man i can declare that the position in which he like many a better man had placed himself was intolerable other men of equal sensitiveness would have extricated themselves in a more commonplace fashion but the dramatic appealed to my rascal and he has often plumed himself on his calculated coup de theatre at the fork of the roads he was delighted with it even now i sometimes think that aristide pujol will never grow up there's one thing i don't understand said i and that is your astonishing influence over the populace at aguimota you came upon them like a firework a devil among the tailors and everybody gendarme and victim included became as tame as sheep how was it he laughed i said you were my very old and dear friend and patron a great english duke i don't quite see how that explanation satisfied the pig-headed old gentleman whom i knocked down oh that said aristide pujol with a look of indescribable drollery that was my old father End of chapter one